Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott. Socially distancing, as always. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. What's going on? Uh, you know, it's a or was a rainy day here in the nation's capital. The sun has come out. A beautiful day, as summer is here. Summer's here. Yeah, it was uh, kind of nice. You know, uh, sitting was sitting by the window with the rain coming down. I. Uh, I quite like that. Nice. And you got yourself a hammock recently? I did, yeah. I didn't uh, go sit on it today, but I definitely thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah. We're very happy together. Yeah, the, the major developments that happened in this, uh, in this era. So, uh, I think, Scott, hammocks, though, very underrated piece of furniture. I, th- I think so, yeah. Like, I never really thought about getting one until I wanted to sit outside, and most patio furniture is not that comfortable. Right. So I thought, hey, let's try let's try this, and yeah, it ended up working out uh, really well. Yeah, and as an added benefit, with a hammock, you don't have to invite anybody over because there's nowhere to sit. There's just a hammock. That's all you got out there. Well, yeah, and in in this time of social distancing, it's a it's it's a key benefit. This was a double win. Yeah, but uh, I guess I guess you could say it is one of the most underrated pieces of outdoor furniture there is. Yes, is uh, that we'll use that as a beautiful segue into today's topic, which is going to be underrated players. We talk a lot on the show about the players who are great who are really good, sometimes even players who may be overrated. But oftentimes I feel as though we don't give enough credit to some of the underrated players in the sport. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded to me like you were going to keep going. No, that was the the extent of my thought. I don't know. what What do you think about that, Scott? Do we not give enough credit to some players while we're talking about the games? I think that there's been a lot more credit given in recent years. Um, Most of the time, the underrated players are going to be the front-end players, right? Mm -hmm. They're the ones who, on the TSN broadcast, you know, the lead is throwing in that tiny box while the commercial's still playing. Um, The second are, okay, he's just going to make some peels, and it's fine. But... As the game has changed over the last few years and things like runbacks and tick shots have become more important, uh, the broadcasters have started highlighting their uh, contributions to the game a lot more. Yeah, the front-end players are increasingly important. That's why we see more and more the lineup changes as skips and thirds want to get the best possible front end situation as possible look at jennifer Mm -hmm. jones right now she has two of the best leads in the world for some reason that i still don't fully understand but basically they were like oh lisa weagle's a free agent let's get lisa weagle she's really good right and 
it, as much as she wanted her on her team, it, it's probably also a bit of, hey, then she can't go play for another team. Yeah, although I don't know who she's scared of, who Jennifer Jones should be scared of. The, the, the answer is nobody. So, you know, she's Jennifer Jones. She's Jennifer F. and Jones. Jennifer F. Jones. <laughs> yeah, she can do it. She can do whatever she wants. Uh, now, you say that, Scott, though, about front-end players who I completely agree that they are generally not paid attention to in the same way as back-end players. Of course, I am reminded of what Brad Gushu told me during the 2017 Olympic trials when I asked about the consistency of playoff teams at the Briar and then at that trials. And he said it's because of the skips. The skips are the ones who ultimately determine the games. And we see that over and over again. So on the list that I've put together of underrated players, I don't have exclusively skips, but I have a majority of skips because I think that sometimes we can forget about how great some of these skips are, especially now as we do highlight some of the other players uh, sometimes that seems to happen at the expense of the skips strangely so I, i'm almost getting the sense that not every certainly not everyone but there are some cases where the skips are a little underrated wow interesting yeah uh, so it's like a bit of a rebound yeah, it's like uh, I, I watched this interview it was with B.J. Novak, and somebody asked him who his favorite Office character was, and he said that it's Michael. And in, in making that statement, he said, you know, it's the obvious answer, and it seems like a lot of times people want to show how big a fan they are, how deep they get into it by saying secondary characters and just ignoring sort of the central part of it and the, the key to it. And I wonder if that could happen with sports, too, where – you want to show how much you know by going so deep inside uh, and some of the players who other fans who quote unquote casuals might not know. And that shows your level of fandom by how you can name all the players on the team. Right. Because, you know, Oh, everybody can be, you know, John Tavares fans. Yeah. But not everybody yeah. can be uh, some guy in the Leafs I've never heard of. Right, yeah. Everybody can love Jennifer Jones, but it's a little harder to give out the career highlights of Jill Officer. Yeah, yeah. Even enough. though it's not, even though it's not, because they're the exact same, <laughs> the exact same career highlights. Yeah, they are. The, they are the exact same. Yeah. So, uh, so we we've each put together a list of some current, some past players who we feel are overall underrated in the canon of curling. So, Scott, why don't you go first, and who is the first player who you came up with for your underrated players? Well, of all the uh, talk that we just had about skips, um, this is one of my favorite players. Uh, I got to talk to him this year at the Briar, Ooh. and it's uh, the second for Brendan Botcher's team, Brad Thiessen. Yeah, I have him on my list too, Scott. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, Brad. Brad uh, I'll always remember the time when I was at the trials in 2018, and uh, he was trying to get in the arena, <laughs> and somebody was like, "You need a badge," and he's like, "I'm I'm playing like <laughs> like he didn't have his credential right out," uh, and that's sort of what I think of when I think of Brad Thiessen is that like nobody really knows he's there, right? Sort and of, that aw, sort of that aw shucks reaction too. Yeah, and 
he's he's just so good. One of the best uh, sweepers in the men's game, and yeah. one of the best hitters. He plays uh, he plays those runbacks super precisely. Yeah, so I looked up some of his numbers because I think one of the things that you think about when you talk about Brad Thiessen is his sweeping ability, which is incredible. I, I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't snapped a broom during the, the shot, just the amount of pressure that he can put on it. Uh, and if there's somebody, if there's you know Vegas odds on somebody who's going to impale themselves on a rock, and we really don't want this to happen, but he is so far over. Yeah. And you know so much of his the only thing preventing him from falling on the rock is the broom. If there's a slight something, uh, he could go over. And that is an incredible strength for him and an obvious advantage for the botcher team. But I pulled up his numbers from the last three briars. So the three that Brandon Botcher and that team won silver medal set. And in 2018, for the week, he shot 85%, was a minus one overall, 83% and a minus in the final. 2019, 88%, a plus 5, 85% in the final. That was worth a minus in that game. And then 2020, he shot overall 85% with plus 3, 85%, and actually outshot Brett Gallant in the final, got a plus in that game. So overall in his career, he's just above 85% for his total shooting percentage in the briar, he is a plus seven overall and has shot just under 85% in the finals. That's really, really good for somebody who we don't talk about that much in terms of shot making. Yeah, you're right. He's sort of sneaky good yeah. at the shot making side. And you're right, maybe because he gets all that press about his sweeping and his sweeping is so impressive. It overshadows a bit uh, how good he is with the rock in yeah. his hand. Very, uh, very impressive player. So I, I'm full with you on that one. So I did have Brad Thiessen on my list as well. All right. So I will uh, say my first person on the list. And when we talked about underrated players, this is actually the first person who came to mind for me, Scott. And it's somebody who I know we talk about on the, the show pretty frequently, but that's because he's around a bunch. I think Brad Jacobs is underrated at this point. I, I really do. Uh, of course, 2014 gold medalist in the Olympics. He went undefeated in that 2013 trials. Just that's where he really came onto the scene. He's been to 12 Briars. He is in the Brad Gushu category now of the only Briar he miss, he's missed since 20, uh, 2007 is 2014 when he was off at the Olympics. And... Mm -hmm. He should have lost in 2018. Yes, he, sh he should have lost that Northern Ontario final, but yeah. he didn't. Uh, Tanner Horgan didn't play the end of that game great, admittedly didn't play the end of that game great. And it's been 12 consecutive Northern Ontario champions championships for him. He's been finished a season first in the rankings twice in his career, including this season, won seven Grand Slams. He's made the playoffs of the last nine slams, and he's won four of them. Uh, his silver medal in his one trip to the Olympics. He's really good, but I think there's this perception of him that since the Olympics, he hasn't found much success, and he, they haven't been very good. And I do think part of this is the personal reputation he has. Certainly in this part of the country, 
and it's not exclusive just to the Ottawa Curling Club. Whenever I'm in a curling club and Brad Jacobs' name comes up, the discussion is not the most flattering to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that that the the feeling that some fans have towards him, and some of it I think is is fair. You know, the way that the the tapping of the shoes on the opponent with knees on the ice and then refusing to address it. That kind of stuff rubbed people the wrong way, and I get it. But that doesn't take away from how good he is and how much better he's gotten, too, as a shot maker. You know, he always had the high-hard one. He's gotten a lot better on the soft stuff and the, the touch shots. And I really think that now that we're six years removed from that gold medal, that, that they're not, or he specifically, is not thought of as the great player that he is actually had him as the last one I thought of on my list. So, okay. Boy, we're pretty in sync so far. And uh, <laughs> it's a good thing I have some honor I have some honorable mentions. Good thing I oh, did that. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I agree with you. He like you say their team is consistently there. And given the the reputation that they've had in losing so many finals, maybe not being the most mentally tough team, uh going out and getting uh extra coaching help uh, they were sort of the, the innovators on the physical side. I remember when I was in the Briar, uh, in the Briar, I wish, uh, when I went yeah. to the Briar in Saskatoon in 2012, uh, I went to see their up close and personal, and Stu was asking them about, you know, what's the routine when you come to the Briar? And they're like, oh, yeah, and we flew in, went to the gym, uh, got to the hotel. Like, the gym was the first thing they did. Right. And uh the the weakness of their team has always been perceived to be the mental side so for them to understand that identify that go out and get help for it and at, over the last two seasons put together uh an incredible record in the grand slam circuit uh that, yeah i think i think he is underrated in the sense that I, I don't know if I picked them to make the playoffs. Uh, maybe I did at the Briar, but it, they're one of those teams that you may, maybe begrudgingly accept that they're really good. Yeah, I think so. It's He's not somebody who's going to win the next time he wins, and I'm convinced he's going to win. He's not somebody who people are going to have the same reaction that they had when Bal Sweeting won with right. Kerry Anderson this year where there was just this outpouring of support of like, yeah, we love Val, like great, good for her. She deserves this. Like that's not going to happen when he wins. But again, it doesn't take away from how great he is. No, for sure. For sure. Or maybe there will be an outpouring of support, but it'll all be for Mark Kennedy because everyone loves Mark Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's it. And I think, I do think Mark Kennedy is a big part of why they've been so good this past year. But, like, even but still. he was good before Brad's, that, yeah. Yeah, and Brad's still throwing the last rocks. Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you, you got to make them. So, uh, all right, so you had Brad Jacobs on your list. Uh, so I did. So you've had two Brads so far for you. Uh, so I'll go to my next one then, Scott. We talked about her last week in the What Ifs. Uh, I think Sherry Madoff is underrated. Seven Scotty's mm. appearances. She won four bronze medals, 01, 02, 04, and 08. So if you think about her career, 
at the Scotties and, and the bulk of it, she was going up against Colleen Jones, Kelly Law, Kelly Scott, sort of that era of champion. And I don't think there's any shame in not winning against those teams, right? She lost a, a semifinal against Colleen Jones in there. Uh, she's won two Grand Slams. She, of course, as we talked about last week, silvered the 2013 trials and a fixture for a long time, both on tour and maybe I'm biased in the Ontario side of it, just being around Ontario, knowing what her schedule was a little bit, how much they were playing, how much success they were having on tour. I, I think that, as we talked about last week, if she could have won a Scotties or that Trials, I think a Scotties is a little more important in this regard. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, right now she's seen almost as a, I hate to say an underachiever, but she had a great career. And I think that we forget about how close she was and how she, in a couple of occasions, kind of dragged teams. I think of that 2013 team almost dragged them to the final with how good she was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she did pretty much uh, come up with a great week. Right. Uh, we talk about yeah. that a lot that <clears throat> sometimes all you need is to have a really great week. And uh, yeah. Sherry Madaw was able to do that. Uh, I, we did talk about uh, last week a bit playing at the time when Colleen Jones rink was so dominant that's going to affect a lot of people. Like we talked about on the men's side with uh, the fur before and a few of the strong teams not playing, uh, boosting the Furby team. Whereas on Sherry Madaw's case, I think having Colleen Jones there sort of lowered all the rest of the teams. Yeah. But that I makes think sense, right? Yeah, no, it, it totally does. Like think about somebody like Jeff Stoughton too. Right, wins in 99 and then doesn't win again until, was it 13, 14, whenever it was that he 2009? won. I think 2009. No, that was a that was a Martin year. Um, that was a Martin year. Yeah. That, 11, he but, won in 11 for sure. 11, okay. So he, so he has this long time in between, but during those years, he is part of the, the uh, boycott. That's certainly part of it. But that's also the era of the Martin... Howard rivalry and it's sort of Jeff Stoughton is there competing for third place it almost felt like it doesn't take away from how great Jeff Stoughton was and how great of a player he was and I think the same thing applies certainly to Sherry Mada that yeah she's not at that top level as Colleen Jones and and I think Kelly Scott may or may not come up later but those types of teams but that doesn't mean she wasn't great right yeah, yeah so you're, uh, you're right yeah, so I have, I have Sherry Madaz. So who's your next player, Scott? So next on the list in a, a similar era and a player that you just mentioned, uh, I think Kelly Scott is a little bit underrated. Yeah, I agree. So having – she had this sort of – maybe a flash in the pan is, is not right, but about a 10-year, 8-year stretch where she was one of, if not the best team – in Canada, along with Jennifer Jones, sort of one and one A. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as Scotty's appearances, she had eight Scotty's appearances, all between um, 2005 and 2013. So every year, 
yeah. for those eight years coming out of British Columbia. Yep. Uh, she won two Scotties back to back in 06 and 07. Uh, gold in 07 at the Worlds and a bronze in 06. And then it was silver medalist in 2012 in Red Deer. That was uh, Heather Nedowin's team that won. Uh, and a bronze in 2005 and 2013. Like, to have eight appearances, five podiums, um, just uh, she was also at the, the trials in 20, 2006 for the, the 2005 trials for the 2006 Olympics. Yeah. And uh, they finished first place and had seven and two record. Uh, lost to Shannon Clybrink in that final, giving up three in the 10th after leading by two. So yeah. the, I'd say they were the favorites to go that year, but uh, pretty good. Also, uh, according to Wikipedia, she scored yeah. an eight ender in one of her games at uh, the Players Championship in 2006. She did. Yeah, there's actually a video of this that you can find on YouTube of her throwing the shot. Kathy King, her mm-hmm. last one. I, I don't know. I can't remember what happens on Kathy King's last shot, but it's a wide open draw that Kelly Scott has, and she's mic'd for the game. And it's not like a Sportsnet broadcast. I don't know who's, what type of broadcast it was, but there is play-by-play, and she is mic'd. And she comes down to the hack, and she goes, well, you know, no pressure. And she's like, she's clearly feeling it. And every other game on the ice stopped. <laughs> like all the players stopped playing to watch her throw the shot. And halfway down the ice, they thought it was heavy. And oh. that was going through. Uh, it eventually stopped. Uh, it sort of comes into the pile of stones that she has. But yeah, it's a really cool video to watch because you just don't expect it at all. And of course, it's immediate handshakes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I'll just correct myself. Of course, 2009, she didn't make the Scotties. That was the Marla Mallet year where yeah. the, the Marla Mallet comes out of nowhere to make the final. Uh, but but just like such a great represent, representative of women's curling for that stretch of time. And I know I would sometimes say uh, – um, just, just 10 and a half, uh, you know, the way that she would say her weights and stuff. Yeah. Like it, it sounded kind of annoying on TV if you're like, it would be annoying to play with her, but also somewhat pioneering in, you know, the communication of the game. They, yeah. Cause it they wasn't always just prioritize that. Yeah. And it wasn't just calling the shot, like calling the 10 and a half. As soon as the shot ended, she would give the number that actually was thrown right to the sweeper. Yeah. So if she called ten and a half and it was a ten eight, as soon as the rock was done, she'd be like ten eight, and just so that everyone knew what was going on all the time. And yeah, she was one of the first to adopt that type of system because remember that's the time when the Furby number system was really in vogue, yeah. and she's coming out now with the times. So it really was a an era of changing the vocabulary of the sport she was a major part of that yeah big time big time and we'll see next year basically it's her her old team that's going to play with marianne arsenault uh yeah. next year out of Kelowna. so uh we'll see how well they do and it'll be nice to see some familiar faces hopefully back Absolutely. at a national level yeah and, and i will say too i was at the 08 scotties in regina and I happened to be at the 
I, I want to say it was the Thursday night draw where they were eliminated from playoff contention. And that crowd in Regina gave an, a, just a beautiful ovation to Ooh. Kelly Scott as she came down the ice after the game was over and she'd been eliminated. It was a really nice gesture, just one of those cool moments that I remember being at, uh, at a curling rink, just, you know, two times, you know, there, something happens that when a team is Team Canada, people kind of root for them, but they also kind of want to see them to lose. It's this weird, like, fairness thing. We're like, well, it's unfair to continue to win. you got to let other people win. Mm. We root for the underdogs. But for that team that had won two straight, when they were eliminated, the crowd wasn't really loud when they were making shots, but there was a, a, a respect for once they were eliminated. They wanted to acknowledge it, and it was a really cool moment. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, so uh, so Kelly Scott, yeah, I, I fully agree, underrated. I'm going to go to another skip that this might sound strange to include this individual on the underrated list, but Scott, I think Annette Norberg is way too underrated as a player. Really? Okay, I'd like to hear this. Yeah, so Annette Norberg, two-time Olympic gold medalist, of course, only curler to ever repeat as an Olympic gold medalist in 06 and 2010, three-time world champion 05, 06, and 2011. She won six other medals at the Olympics, so she has nine podium appearances uh, in 11 entries into the world championship, 15 appearances at the European Championships. She won seven golds, three silvers, 12 bronze. And what's incredible is the longevity of her career. Her first Euro was in 1984. Her last one was in 2009. Mm -hmm. That is a quarter of a century that she was an elite level curler. That's, that's amazing. And why I think she's underrated is that when we have the discussion, I don't know if we've ever had the discussion on this show, but you know, around clubs and just in general, when you talk about best curlers ever, Certainly in this country, we talk about Canadians and only Canadians. And I think if we're having a legitimate, honest-to-goodness discussion of best curlers ever, Annette Norberg has to be, if not the favorite to be deemed that, certainly in the first breath and in the first paragraph. And too many times she's not. I think we just sort of forget about her sometimes, and that's not really in line with how great she was for how long she was as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the trap that we fall into here in Canada is thinking that it's, Oh, it's just, they're an automatic to get to worlds. Mm -hmm. So, so you give it a little bit less credit, right? Where you say, Oh, they've only got one team in Sweden, so like obviously they're going to be the ones. Uh, yeah, but you still, but you okay, fine. Let's say okay, it's not that impressive that she got to eleven worlds. Uh, she won nine medals. Yeah, yeah, obviously good. I th I'm just saying like that's the reason it's probably discounted. Right, because we're not smart enough in this country to think about how good that this happens with Nicodine too, right? Where people try to right. discount him and say, well, his grand slam record isn't as good as his world championship record or something like, 
because there's more Canadians. If we get so Canadian focused, and oh, if they all if they had to play Canadians all the time, they wouldn't be as good. But I I just I don't see it in the in that same way. I mean, they're winning Europeans, winning World Championships. That's impressive. Just because there's one Canadian team in the World Championship field doesn't take anything away from it. And I, I do think part of it in Canada too is just exposure. If you think about Annette Norberg and her career, people would have seen her once a week or, or one game a year on TSN when she's playing Team Canada in the round robin and then whatever playoff game she got. I think that's a big part of it too in this country is you just don't see them over and over and over again the same way that we, we see players at the Briar Scotties and now at the Grand Slams. But Annette Norberg just... Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? If I were to say that Annette Norberg is the best player ever, certainly on the women's side, would you give me a, a strong argument? I mean, you, it's definitely a conversation. I, I'd say she's for sure in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, the back-to-back -back gold medals at the Olympics alone is very yeah. impressive. Um, facing tough competition in both those events. So... Yeah, uh, and the number of the number of world championships that you go to, it, to me, has less less holding on how great you are as a team because, you know, like uh, lately we've seen like Jaap Van Dorp is going or uh, Anna right. Kubis, Kubiskova, right? Uh, and that's just because they're the one team in that country that uh, can get there, but. They're not the winning medals. medals every time. The, yeah. the medals are, are the impressive part, for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, so I have Annette Norberg on my list. Who do you got up next, Scott? Uh, well, let's stay in Europe, Sean. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Binia Felcher. Okay. All right. Another world champion. <clears throat> Another world champion that... Uh, when you look at her, you don't think elite athlete. I mean, I don't. <laughs> anyway. Uh, There's not many curlers who, on first blush, do you say elite athlete? Well, I mean, I guess Brad Jacobs that we talked about, you know, yeah. could see him. You're like, okay, I get it. Um, right. But, I mean, if you're, I mean, as we were this year, when you're walking around downtown Kingston and you just happen to pass by a bunch of the players, if you didn't know that the briar was going on, you wouldn't be like, oh, there's a national championship going on. Look at all these top-level athletes walking around the city. Like, man, oh, man, something's going on. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I just, I just like, every time I see Vinia Felcher, she kind of looks like she'd be like your aunt or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, like the crazy aunt that comes to the party. But uh, she, she's two world gold medals. And... In, coming out of Switzerland is probably the hardest country other than Canada, right, to get out of. I, I don't think there's any argument there. Uh, she played with Miriam Ott, uh, yeah. sort of learned under her, had uh, silver medals at uh, the European Championships in 04 and 05 uh, with Miriam Ott, and then struck out on her own in 07. And because of Miriam Ott, and then later Sylvana Tiranzoni as well, uh, and Alina Patz. Alina Patz was my, one of my uh, people 
honorable mention, we'll say. Okay. Uh, because of all those players, she doesn't go to all of the world championships. But when she goes to world championships, Sean, she wins world championships. Yeah. Uh, two of them in uh, 2014 and 2016. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the longevity is there. Uh, she's played for 15 years, uh, has, has since retired, uh, been to five worlds, and been to uh, seven Euros. Uh, and out of a country like Switzerland, in 15 years to do that, I think that's very, very, very impressive. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's a good choice, uh, Binia Felcher. I mean, you know, to say, you know, a Swiss woman winning world championships, I mean, that's just what they do. You know, That's what they do, but uh, you've got to get what there, they right? Do. That's true. No, you, you're right. It, it is really impressive. I think, you know, in the era sort of post-aught, but pre-Pats, um, and Terenzoni really rising. Uh, it's certainly Switzerland is super competitive. Don't get me wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a bit of a soft spot there, but yeah, I, I think Benia Felcher is for sure underrated as a player. And again, it's certainly in this country would be exposure uh, as part of it. Of course, the two world championships she did win just happened to be contested in Canada. Mm-hmm. And also uh, went to the Olympics in 2006 with Miriam Ott as her yes. third. So uh yeah, quite uh, quite a, a storied career, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's kind of sad that she's gone now. Yeah, it's it sort of, you know, seeing Alina Patz join uh, Silvana Terenzoni sort of concentrated a bit of, more of the talent at the top in Switzerland rather yeah, than each s- of them having their own. But... Yeah, you're seeing the super teamification of Switzerland. Yes, yes, which we have seen in Canada for a bit now. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, so I, I think at this point, with Binia Felcher gone and with the pairing of Pats and Tiranzoni, I think you could make a case now that maybe Korea is a little harder to win. Japan, for sure. Competitive Japan, yeah. for sure. I think Sophia Jackson would probably say something if you were uh, about what's going on in Scotland, <laughs> if you were to, you know, raise this point with her. So, uh, you know, there is some, there, there are a lot of countries that are competitive, but yeah, I think at its pinnacle, Switzerland was the hardest po- non-Canadian country to win for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to shift focus away from Europe, Scott, but I'm going to head over to the Pacific Asia region. And I think that, Bing Yu Wang is criminally underrated as a player. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, 10 world championship appearances, 11 times at the Pacific Asia curling championship, three time Olympian, 2010, 14 and 18. In terms of things that she has won though, of course she was the world champion in 2009. She won the silver in 08, losing that game to Jennifer Jones, Bronze in 2011, six-time champion at the Pacific Asia Championship, 2010 bronze medal in Vancouver. She won the Pacific Asia Junior Championship two times, won the Asian Winter Games in 2017, won the Winter Universiad in 2009. A very impressive resume, but what I think makes it even more impressive is that China had never won a curling medal mm-hmm. at the world championship. 
So men or women, and still, if you take out her three medals, China has never won a medal at a World Curling Championship. So she comes to the fore as this great player from a country that did not have a tradition of great curlers. And she really was the, the forebearer of Chinese curling to bring it to that next level, to have the country taken seriously as a legitimate threat to win medals at world championships. And it's really because of her. And I think you have to take that into account when you consider the totality of her career, that she was coming out of a program that was not really existent and certainly a lot of help from the government and, and financially and bringing in coaches, all that helps. But again, ultimately, she is the one who has to make the last shot at the end of the game. And she, since she's she, she sort of left for a bit, started a family, came back, and then has left again, I just don't think we think of her at that top level. But in the, the latter part of the aughts, she was a force to be reckoned with whenever she was on the ice. Yeah, like really most of the Asian curling teams, uh, Japan included, I don't really remember them before uh, Bing Yu Wang broke through uh, right. at, at the Worlds, right? Like it, Japan would have a team there, but it would never be uh, a threat. And yep. when when their team started winning, it turned a lot of people's heads uh, we all heard about, oh, they throw so much less rotation so they can get their rocks to curl more, uh, all these sorts of things. And at the beginning of their run, that's what they did. They junked it up. Uh, famously, I, I've told the story that we played them in the Vancouver uh, Skins uh, tournament and got destroyed, like just yeah. crushed. I think it was I think it was 2005. So... Uh, a little bit before that. And I remember they, they said, Oh, you're going to play the Chinese national team. And I was like, what China has a curling <laughs> team. Kind right. of like, huh? And Oh, they showed me that they def definitely belong. Yep. And, and without her, we talked what ifs last week, but without her, the, would the rise of curling in the Pacific uh, Asia region, do you, th I wonder if it would be as, strong as it is today yeah it, it's a good question and uh, on the in terms of you know influencing the region on the women's side only two medals for asian teams uh, japan won a silver in 2016 and the south koreans won a bronze medal last year in 2019 mm -hmm. other than that no other asian countries have won so both of those are post bingy wang and I think it's a really interesting question. Of course, the other thing that I always think of when I think of Bingy Wang is famously she infuriated Heather Nedowin by refusing to engage with guards and stuff and just playing it super open. Yeah. Uh, one of the best post-game rants ever from Heather, Heather Nedowin after they played uh, Bingy Wang. And, and I agree that you can talk all you want about getting coaching and, and putting money into programs. At some point somebody has to come through that and start to win to yep. give the the sport more exposure in mainstream mainstream media to give the 
young kids watching some something to aspire to and you know we talk we, we talk about it all the time and certainly in recent days about representation and stuff but having somebody that kids can look to and say oh that could be me because they came from where i come from they look like me you know mm -hmm. i can relate to them and they're at the highest level of whatever this thing is and in this case curling having that yeah i don't think that can be overstated necessarily and how important that can be to the development of a sport yeah yeah no you're right for sure i'm uh, i'm on board with you there all right so uh yeah i've been you wang there on my list who do you got next uh let's see what you think about this one sean i'm i'm gonna pick uh, uh dana ferguson okay as an underrated player interesting um, I think part of uh, you know, we always think of uh, Dana Ferguson and uh, Rochelle together yeah. as as sort of a, a group, right? Yeah, they're a team. They're they're a team. Um, when I've talked to Dana in the past, like she's she's super positive, uh, uh, a great presence all over all of these events, uh, always having fun. She doesn't look like a curler uh when she played with val and joanne courtney was on the team famously like joanne courtney played third but also swept yeah and uh i think that since then uh dana has become such a good sweeper and such a good partner with rochelle that uh i think some people still think back to the time of like oh she wasn't athletic enough to sweep. Uh, so she mustn't be that good. Uh, their team, every team that she's played on has had success. And, and uh, they've always uh, achieved at the higher level of the sport. Uh, two silvers and a gold at the Scotties for her. Uh, I think she's been to the, the hearts four times. Since Joanne left the Val Sweeting rink in uh, 2015, that it seemed like they were kind of looking for a place to to be and and sort of a, a team. But uh, once she, whenever she's had the team with her, she's had success. What, yeah. what do you think of this? Uh, I don't know if she's underrated. I, I think she's adequately rated, and I think that with Rochelle Brown, you're right, that they're really intertwined together. And I don't I don't think that Dana Ferguson is a bad player. I think she's a great player, of course, but I don't know if she would qualify for me as, as someone who is underrated in the same way as, as some other people. And I, I you know, the the sweeping stuff she's a yeah, she is a great sweeper, but I don't think if we were talking about strongest sweepers in the game she would necessarily come up. I think the that the improvement in that area of the game over the last five to six years has been uh, better than I think people think. Okay. I, th I think that's fair. I, I, I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other on this one, to be honest. Okay, fair enough. It was... I was trying to think of uh, players who have had success on their teams, but 
but like aren't really thought of as the reason for that team's success. Yeah, that's fair. But again, you know, there is a, yeah, it's tough, right? Val, cause Val just struggled so much at the end of her skipping run that mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to assess the rest of the team and how well they were playing at that time. Because Val and Val says that I'm not, I don't think I'm sort of disparaging Val Sweden that, by yeah. saying that. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, she's been very open about that at the last couple of years. She just didn't quite have it there as a skip and it was really up in her head. So yeah, it's, it is hard to assess the team, the rest of the team in that type of environment for sure. All right. Uh, well, I'm interested to hear more of yours. All right. So uh, in terms of finding success with multiple teams, I have Adam Casey as an underrated player. Uh, he's been to seven Briars. He went to six consecutive Briars between 2012 and 2017. And what I think is remarkable about Adam Casey's career is that he has been able to do it at multiple positions. Of course, first time at the Briar, he was the second for Brad Gushu. And then he went off and he skipped in the Briar, first for PEI, then for Saskatchewan. And now, of course, with Jason Gunlickson throwing second, calling the line in the house this year, and he's going to move to third permanently now. So if they get back to the briar, he will have been in the briar at three different positions. And there's just something that I find super impressive about that. The ability to bounce back and forth between positions to fit into teams, to adjust your game as necessary. It's one thing to go from lead to second or second to third, but to go from skip to second and vice versa, that's really impressive because you go from being the leader of the team to not so much the leader of the team and for Mm -hmm. him to be able to do that and find success on the ice that's really impressive now you could push back and say you know if he was so great he would have success on one team and people would want like he wouldn't always have to bounce around but part of that is life and sort of Mm -hmm. where his life has taken him and sort of off the ice non-curling related reasons so that's certainly part of of why he's bounced around so much. But I just think it's really impressive that he's been able to do that. He's had some success at the mixed doubles level as well. And in my limited interactions with him, he's pretty gregarious, seems like a good guy, uh, always having fun out there on the ice. And I just think that that, to be able to go to six Briars in a row across three different provinces, that's mighty impressive. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. That's uh, for sure a, gr- a great accomplishment. And like you say, showing flexibility is, I think, an underrated aspect of the sport in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to perform different roles at a high enough level that you make it to a national championship is uh, a, a real mark of a, a great player. Yeah, so Adam Casey certainly... I think warrants a spot on the list. So Scott, I think that is that five each that we've done now. Uh, I've done all of mine. Okay. Let me give you an honorable mention. One person who we have not mentioned as yet, Don McEwen. I think Don McEwen is incredibly underrated. Really? Uh, of course, I, I really do. Five Scotties, Olympic gold medalist, of course, this year, 87% plus two at the Scotties. And I do think that, 
she is a little underrated and how great she is. When we talk about leads, it's always Weagle, 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 Weagle. But what's the where's the McEwen, McEwen, McEwen? Where's the chorus <laughs> of McEwens? She's uh, no, she's great. And I, I think one of the reasons why she's not thought of maybe as highly as as some other players is that we never hear from her. <laughs> Is that right. I'm sure I, she's I'm, I'm sure she's wearing microphones when she plays and they're the TV game. I know that because it's contractually obligated, but either she turns it off or she just doesn't need to talk that much. And I, I, I really respect Don McEwen just as as a player, obviously, but she's when you hear from her, it's, it means something. And I, I kind of like that about Don McEwen. And, yeah, I do think that she's a little underrated. I think I think she's properly rated. Uh, I, you know, she's one. She gets like first team All Star at the Scotties all the time. Uh, she was named the greatest Canadian female lead in that TSN poll last year. Yeah. I don't I don't know how you can be underrated if you're <laughs> you're named the greatest lead. <laughs> so I I disagree that she's underrated. And uh, I think that she's properly rated as the greatest female lead in history. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So uh, I just wanted to give Don McEwen a shout out there. Oh, so, that's true. I, I don't so that... know if, if Don McEwen was in like a voice lineup. I don't think I could pick it out. Yeah. She could commit phone fraud like really easily. Yeah. Like, su yeah. like super easily. Yeah. Because uh, no one would know what she sounds like. And exactly. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, as we talked about last week, too, made the Scotties final playing with Jen Hanna there in 2005. Mm. So not completely attached to Jennifer Jones in terms of career accomplishment. Exactly. Yeah. So there you have it. Our list of underrated curlers. And of course, you can let us know who we may have missed in that list, both Canadian players, of course, but internationally, too. There's a couple of Americans that came to mind when I was thinking about this, you know, the Pete Benson's of the world. But, mm. you know, let us know who you think is underrated and maybe even criminally underrated is in the world of curling. So that should do it for this week. But, Scott, we have an announcement. Yes, Sean, we do have an announcement. I'm very excited about this announcement. Yeah, so, so you you set it up. Yeah, you set it up. You do it. Let's let's. I'll give you all the glory for this. This is your thing, and I'm very impressed. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, so we have been working behind the scenes for the last uh, month or so, maybe two months, uh, since the COVID shutdown has started, and uh, I've created a T-shirt, a Game of Stones T-shirt, that will be available for anybody out there to purchase it's on uh, teespring.com we'll tweet out the link when we tweet out this episode uh, i've priced the shirts um the, the website makes you do it in u.s dollars but it's priced out so that it comes to 20 dollars canadian and there's a small profit from from that price and we're going to take those profits and donate them to uh, canadian food bank network in order to ensure that uh, everybody who needs access to food right now is able to get it. Yeah. So this is something that you know, we had shirts before that 
I did not care for. I had them made up and I didn't like them. So right. Scott was able to get shirts. They arrived for us yesterday. I like them. I, I tried it on. It's comfortable. It looks good. It's a black t-shirt with our logo on it. And yeah, Scott says we're going to take the, the profits from the shirt and donate it to the Canadian Food Bank Network. And Scott, I've not told you this yet, but I am going to match whatever we make. So uh, I will double what, whatever the shirt sales are. And so if you buy a shirt, I'm matching the donation. So uh, so we'll do that uh, and just keep track of what's going on and uh, you know, always update what the numbers are. But I'm gonna do that in addition. So if you're buying a shirt, I'm matching it. Excellent, Sean. That's that's not uh, a really shirt. Great. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna actually. I'm not gonna buy a shirt because I don't need an. I don't need more shirts. I'm just yes. gonna match that dollar amount to the, to the Canadian Food Bank Network. Yes, and so I've got. Uh, I I was wrong. It's twenty five dollars Canadian. Otherwise, we wouldn't uh, get any money to donate. Yeah. So so, so go in it, and order. It might take a while to show up. I think they're a little back ordered and. You know, it took ours, what, about six weeks to arrive, but... A little the, less than that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, there's there's a men's shirt and a women's shirt available uh, if you like the different cuts. Uh, they're available in black, gray, and red. Which oh, I think right. Actually, of... okay, I lied. Maybe I will, if for the whoever buys the first one, maybe I will match through a shirt, because I kind of want the red one. <laughs> yeah, the red one looks pretty good. Uh, there's also a sticker for sale on there that's got our logo. Uh, it's a square sticker. Um, that's $5 US. So if you don't want to buy it, don't worry about it. But uh, it was an yeah. option, so I thought I'd put it there. Yeah, and again, I'll match those too. So whatever comes in, I'll, I'll match and we'll double it up. Excellent. I'm excited. Yeah, so, uh, so head over to Teespring and just search Game of Stones. Yes. So you can find the shirt there, and again, we'll tweet it out. We'll post something on Instagram. We're going to post the video, Scott, unboxing the T-shirts in a very exciting moment. Oh, it was, it was so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so definitely do help us out with the shirts for the donations to the Canadian Food Bank Network. Of course, if you just want to make a donation to the Canadian Food Bank Network, we're more than okay with that as well. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, so again, we'll link all that stuff out. And thanks everybody for whatever support you can offer in this time. And you know, certainly the stories of people being unemployed and uh, furloughed, and, and the financial struggles are very real. And and food banks have noticed and and put out calls that they need more funds and and resources to meet the increased demand at what is a very tough time for a lot of folks across the country. So this is our small way that we want to use the show to help out as best we can. So again, teespring.com and just search Game of Stones and we'll tweet out the link as well. We'll have it on our Facebook and, and Instagram. So uh, whatever you can help with that, we appreciate it and thank you. So mm -hmm. that'll do it for this week, right, Scott? That's it. We have nothing else to talk about. No, there's a few things going on, but we can talk about it next week. Yeah, we'll get back into uh, all the world of curling stories next week. Of course, 
please do subscribe if you have not yet. Wherever it is you get your podcast, give us the likes, ratings, allows other people to find the show. And just tell your friends if you like the show and like what's going on. And please do follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. Scott's there at Doc, at, uh, I almost got it wrong, at Scott Likes TV. Scott, I changed my Twitter handle. You did. I did. I am now at the Sean Graham. I'm trying to sync everything together across all of my different accounts. So the Sean Graham was available. I don't think anyone's going to take Dr. Shawnee Fever, although I'm going to claim it just in case. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I'm now at the Sean Graham. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter there. And as always, you can email the show game of stones podcast at gmail.com and be sure to follow along with us on Mondays at five Eastern time. We're doing Instagram lives and we might do a Facebook live this week as well with the guys from rocks across the pond. Mm -hmm. So you might show up this time, Scott. Yeah. I've had a, uh, you know, a tough go, uh, feeling sick. And then I had an appointment yesterday, so I'm going to make sure my appointments are not uh, scheduled at the same time. (laughs) and uh go from there yeah so hopefully uh, hopefully you can join in this week uh, we had a lot of fun on monday and if you head over to our instagram the most recent post as we record this is the full episode episode i don't know if that's the right word but you can watch the entire instagram live that we had with ryan and jonathan from rocks across the pond i talked with them about a variety of topics including athletes we liked as kids we talk extensively about the texas oklahoma football rivalry for reasons and we talk even about ryan loving coors light and how scott we might not be able to do bad beer bets anymore because if he's voluntarily drinking coors light i don't know what we can do yeah that's pretty tough i uh oh boy yeah so uh so you can check all that stuff over there and next monday another session of the instagram live with those guys so thanks everybody for listening thanks for joining us This week, we'll be back with you again next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.